Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to start in the book of Nahum with the um, assignment that the Lord has given me for this evening. And I, I want to look at uh, building a stronghold of the Word. And Nahum chapter 1, Nahum, you may have to look at your table of contents to find it. It's not one that we go to very often. If, if you, you know the Carmen song of the 66 books, that might help you find it. You've got to sing the song to find it, right? Nahum chapter 1. Hallelujah. And let's look at verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows them that trust in Him. The Lord is a stronghold. When we look at this word stronghold, we get the idea of a castle. I do when I think of that that word. I think of a castle. I think of a, a fortified place. And the word is defined as a defense or a fortified place. The Strong's Concordance also gives the definition of safety and protection. The Lord is a safety. The Lord is a protection in the day of trouble. The Lord is a fortified place in the day of trouble. The Lord is a defense in the day of trouble. Amen? None of us would argue with that. Glory to God. We depend upon that stronghold that He provides for us. Often this word in the Old Testament is translated strength. Actually, more often than it's used as stronghold, it is translated as strength. For instance, in Psalm 28, 8, it uses this word. The word strength is there twice, but this word is used as the second example in Psalm 28 and verse 8. Glory to God. The Lord is their strength and He is the saving strength. That's the word that is used as stronghold in other places, saving strength. The Lord is their strength and He is the saving strength of His anointed. So it's referring to a rescue. It's referring to a place that we can go to in adversity, in trouble to protect us and to keep us from defeat. To protect us from defeat. In Psalm 31 and verse 2, it's used the same word is translated strong. Psalm 31 and verse 2, 
Bow down your ear unto me, deliver me speedily, for you are my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. So now we see again an idea of something that is impenetrable that we can go to and in that place we can stand and continue in the stand without being defeated. Without, without danger of losing an attack, under attack. Why? Because we're in a place that is fortified. We are in a place that is uh, structurally sound and capable of resisting whatever onslaught. I do like to watch a lot of uh, natural geographic and different things about history, and I happen to be watching a documentary on certain castles over in England and in Scotland and Ireland, different ones. And they were, one of them that I happened to be watching, they had went into the castle behind the gates and were able to stay there over a year. They had enough provision, they had enough supply, and the, the army camped against them on the outside was just out there. They couldn't get in. None of their arrows could reach over. They didn't have any of the artillery that they later developed to be able to break down the castle walls and the people were inside going on with their life. They had what they needed. They had water supply inside the castle walls. They had food supply inside the castle walls and they were able to stay until other forces came to help them with the enemy on the outside. And when we begin to recognize God's stronghold for us, now we're, we're looking at this scripture just to see the premise of His stronghold capabilities, but I want us to see how that would apply to our daily life. There's another place that I see the word stronghold used in the Bible, and it's in the New Testament, and it has a different meaning. It has, it has the same kind of meaning, but a different inference. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we are told that our weapons operate to pull down strongholds. So although those castles that I saw on that National Geographic special, they didn't, the, the army on the outside had no artillery or weapon to be able to pull down those castle walls. God says we do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's look here at verses 3 through 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now from a grammatical point of view, it would not be incorrect to finish that sentence. From a grammatical point of view, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. What is the thought? But we war after the Spirit. Wouldn't that be the, the inference? We don't, we don't war after the flesh. How do we war? We war after the Spirit or with a, a spiritual manner, or in a spiritual fashion. We use spiritual weapons in a spiritual way. And you know what I found out? Spiritual weapons feel different. 
if you are accustomed to dealing with things with natural means, reasonings, common sense and and there's a place for common sense unless it goes against the word of god or a prompting of the spirit common sense is good we don't abandon common sense praise the lord but if it disagrees with something the lord is impressing upon you you know there was a prophet who they said to him there's poison in the pot and he took cornmeal and put it in the pot and said, now it's safe to eat. Well, common sense would not have eaten from that bowl. <laughs> common sense would have said, there's death in that pot. Right? Common sense would not have expected the iron to float. Amen? Common sense would not have carried the water to the governor of the feast. But there is a place for common sense. We don't abandon it. We just recognize when God speaks to us, He is giving us more insight than common sense can provide. But we see here that we war after the Spirit, and spiritual weapons feel different. And you've got to become accustomed. You know, when I taught you on the subject of our being in Christ, one of the things that brought me to that place of study was my prayers for one of my children because I had been dealing with their decisions and they were making decisions that were, were dangerous to their life and, and, and making decisions that were, uh, it, it was upsetting every, every area of their life, financially, physically, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, all of their decisions. It wasn't just one decision that this child was making. It just seemed like every decision was, was... And I knew I could fix it if she would just let me help her make her decisions for her. But she did not want to listen to mom's decisions or mom's wisdom. And so I kept going to God with my natural position, with my natural weapons, and, and trying to pray from an emotional standpoint and from a need standpoint and from my position as mom. And I knew I'm not advancing in prayer. I knew I'm not making progress like I know I can with the word, where am I missing it? And the Lord directed me and he said, you need to pray from your place in Christ because that's where all your weapons are. Your authority is from your position in Christ, not your position as her mom. And that totally repositioned me in the problem. I was no longer under the problem trying to move that problem. I took my place in Christ at the right hand of the Father and I began to pray from that position. Yeah. Hallelujah. And in that position, you know what I found? I found authority and I found peace. <laughs> and I, I, I found the, uh, the uh, ability to use the name of Jesus and apply the blood, and I could do a lot more there <laughs> than where I was. But there were still times that I had to catch myself because I felt like I needed to do more. I felt like I need to do more. because I, I, be, Why? Because I wasn't seeing something? Remember, spiritual weapons don't operate by sight or feeling. 
And so I had to become accustomed to operating from that position with that artillery and with those weapons versus how I had been grappling. If you catch yourself struggling with it, that's an evidence. If you feel like you're just, you're, you're in the struggle about it, stop and reposition yourself. If, if you feel like you're trying to grasp a hold of that problem and move that problem in that way, stop and reposition yourself and go back to the authority in Jesus' name and go back to the applying of the blood over that situation or however the Lord may lead you from that place. But we are not under the circumstance. We are not victims to a situation. We are victorious already. Before you ever enter into the adversity, you have already received victory in Christ. And that victory, we've got to learn to live from that place so that we're not trying to get victory. We're enforcing the victory that we have. Amen? Because if you're trying to get something you've already got, it's like the example I used uh, with... With, uh, on Wednesday night, and I shared it this morning as well, if I'm trying to beg my husband to marry me, please marry me. Please marry me. Make me your wife. He, he can't. He already did. I am. I mean, we could renew our vows, but he can't marry me again because our marriage covenant is still valid. Amen? We're already married. And so you're already victorious. God says you're more than a conqueror. He says you're an overcomer. He says he always causes you to triumph. Amen. So how can, if you go to him from a position of trying to get something he's already given you, it's going to put you at a disadvantage already. But if you come enforcing and receiving what's already yours, Amen? Then you are in a position of receiving that is unlimited and unhindered. So here in 2 Corinthians, we see that we walk in the flesh, but that's not how we do war. That is not how we resist the devil. That is not how we deal with situations and circumstances, not in the flesh, but how? In the spirit. And then it begins to talk about how our weapons work. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now again, we've talked about stronghold from a position of God being our stronghold, but now we find out that the enemy uses strongholds that in order for us to gain uh, 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 access or to deal with his onslaught, there will have to be a pulling down. Now, the, uh, the definition is very similar here in the New Testament because it also means a castle, a stronghold, a fortress... And it also carries this in the Strong's Concordance, anything on which someone relies. Now, we rely on God, but other people rely on other things. 
It has the idea of holding something or someone safely. Unless it's the enemy doing the holding. <laughs> now, if it's the enemy who has established the stronghold in someone's life, then he's holding them safely for him, but not safe for that person. It is not necessarily a refuge for that person. I've, I've uh, heard Rick Renner mention that when this word originated, the word stronghold in the beginning, it meant a castle, a safe place to run. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It meant that safe place. But as over the years it changed in the culture, it came to mean a well-fortified prison. It was still well-fortified, but it's no longer a place of safety, but instead a place of bondage. So our weapons are capable of pulling down strongholds that the enemy has established in our own lives. I don't think these weapons are limited to our lives. I personally believe I can use the weapons of my warfare to pull down strongholds in the lives of others. Amen? To at least set the groundwork in prayer for God to send laborers across their path and shine light and draw them to know Jesus as Lord. Amen? To take authority. I, I realize I have authority over all the power of the enemy. And because of that, I can, I can hinder him from mind-blinding my children. It says the God of this world blinds the mind. I, I can exercise my authority in Jesus' name. And because of my relationship with that person, command the enemy to cease and stop the mind-blinding. Now, we know that every person has their own will. They are making choices. But we don't want to just leave them <laughs> without any prayer covering. If we, can, if we can stop some of what the enemy is doing and, and provide some resistance while they're seeing the truth, and stock the shelves so that when they go to look for God, they find spiritual answers all around them. And they keep having people come across their path because mama is asking the Lord to send laborers across the path of that child. Amen? Then, then we're using our spiritual weapons in a way that the enemy cannot... He cannot... He has no answer for that. He would have to... to uh, um, obey. When we resist him, he'll have to flee. Amen? So these weapons of our warfare, it says that they can pull down strongholds. They can cast down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The weapons in our, in our arsenal are capable of casting down imaginations. Cap capable of casting down things that try to put themselves in a position above what God says or what we know about God from His Word. A 
and also bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Is that possible? Is it possible to bring every thought into obedience? Absolutely. It's in the Word. He wouldn't have put it in the Word if it weren't possible. Now, when the person comes to the Lord in the beginning of their walk with God and they are unrenewed in their mind, it's going to take a little bit more activity. Years ago, I worked for a management company. And I would go into houses after people would move out or after they would be evicted. And I would have to prepare the house for the next renter. And I, I, I would usually spend an entire day emptying trash out of the house. I, I would take a box of trash bags and just go from room to room to room to room emptying trash and carrying busted pieces of furniture that had been left behind, emptying out food that was rotting in the refrigerator. And it would usually take, it, it wasn't a, 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 like an exclusive landlord, <laughs> it, but it would usually take a whole day just to trash out that, that, that house or apartment. And when people, after spending their lives receiving wrong information and ungodly thoughts and doubt-filled thoughts and, and, and allowing all of that wrong information to infiltrate their mind, when they come to the Lord, it's going to take some time for them to trash out those thoughts <laughs> just to go through and clean out and say, where did that come from? Who taught me? I mean, I remember coming to the Lord and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't raised in church. I went to church for a short time with my grandparents when I lived with my grandparents after my parents divorced. Uh, and so, you know, I had been around it a little bit, but I had not really been taught anything from the Bible. And I had some ideas about God. I don't know where they came from. I don't know where they came from. It, 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 it just things you hear, you know, sitcoms or whatever. Just wrong thoughts about God or wrong ideas about God. And, and everybody does until they come to the Word and let the Word of God. But as we begin to walk in the light of God's Word and allow His light to shine upon our understandings, then we are each day gaining that knowledge of God and removing that wrong information. And when you get your mind renewed... You want to stay in a maintenance mode. Don't just let it all hang out from there and say, okay, just whatever, I got it renewed. Well, you got to keep it renewed, just like you brush your hair every day. You got you to renew your mind constantly because there are, are thoughts coming from other sources that are trying to readjust your perception of God and His Word. And so that's why we need to know how to use the weapons that God has provided for us, know how they operate and what their outcome should be so we know what to look for. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was teaching about worry. He, he was uh, explaining that worry and worried thoughts, anxious thoughts, are thoughts that should not be received should not be received. Now, I have to tell you, 
One of the first things I learned as I, after I had received Jesus as Lord was that not every thought that came into my mind was mine. That helped me so much because I would feel guilty about some of the thoughts that I thought after I got saved. You know, I, I got saved out of a life of drug addiction and there would be times that certain things would make me remind, remember. It would remind me of things. My mind was so unrenewed, I could look at certain objects and it would make me think about getting high because I, that was something that had been used in, in my addiction. And so I, I had to realize there were, there were things that were in my mind because of past experiences that needed to be cleansed out. And there were things that the enemy brought against my mind that sometimes it wasn't my thought, it was his and I did not have to take it. I did not have to accept it. That freed me. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Because now I know I don't have to repent for that one. I just have to resist that one because that one did not come from me. It wasn't mine. A lot of people are under condemnation for thoughts the enemy brought them. And they're thinking, I'm so unsaved because I thought that thought when it was the, the devil who brought it but they didn't receive it, or they didn't resist it like they should have. They received it instead. Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now the Amplified brings out that this word thought means anxious thought. Take no anxious thought. So there's thoughts you can take and thoughts you can say, no thank you. I'm not taking that one. Don't take that thought. Take no thought for your life, no anxious, worried thought, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body uh, more than clothing? And then he uses this word, behold. Behold the fowls of the air. don't take anxious thought look at this refocus your attention from that problem or that need and look over here at the supply of God look over here at how God provides for the birds and aren't you much better than the birds you're a child of God that's a that's a creation of God but you're his child Amen? amen so he says adjust your perception Change your focus. Don't take the wrong thought. In other words, intentionally put your thought on the right thing, Mm -hmm. on the right perception of God, on His supply. Don't look at need, look at supply. Don't make need your focus, make supply your focus. Hallelujah. 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 And then he says, which of you, by taking thought, there again we see that phrase, taking thought, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? So thoughts come, and I can take them, or I can resist them. I need to become selective. And I need to purposefully investigate if I want to take that thought or not and choose based on the word of God 
if it's going to be beneficial for me to take that thought or do I need to resist it? He says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Now again, he's talking about worry. And you know, I mentioned the situation that I had been in with uh, one of my children. And during that time, some of you have heard me tell the testimony before, but it bears repeating. During that time, uh, I was up one night trying to figure out how to fix her problem. And Pastor Steele, he had already cast his care upon the Lord, rolled over and went to sleep. And I was laying there in the bed trying to go. I did with all my heart desire to go to sleep. And I was trying to go to sleep. And I would say, I'm not thinking about it anymore. I would say that to myself. I'm not thinking about it anymore. And I would, I would say, I'm not thinking. I'm stopping the thought. I'm not thinking about that anymore. And I would roll over, move my pillow, get it all, all positioned, and try to go to sleep. And you know what would happen? My mind would kick back on. I didn't want my mind kicking on. I wanted my mind to turn off. But it kicked back on and the wheels started turning. And, and I was started, before I would even realize it, I'm going through the scenarios of what I can do, how I could convince her, what, can, what steps can I take, what different things. And then I would realize, I, here I am again. I'm wide awake, wide, I mean just wide open. My eyes wide open. Here I am again. Okay, I'm not going to think about it. And I would go through that process. No, I'm not thinking about it. Roll over. I wore myself out just trying to go to sleep. And as I sat there for hours doing this, I realized I have allowed my mind to think on this problem so much that now it has a momentum. A carnal momentum. And I'm going to have to take spiritual weapons to deal with this situation. Now, Pastor Steele, if I get up, he will wake up and he will not let me get up on my own usually. If he wakes up, we're both up, and then he's, he's you know, got to go back to sleep and everything. So I knew I can't get out of bed without waking him up. So I began with Psalm 91, verse 1, because it is one I have memorized. And I whispered, just in a bare, bare whisper, I whispered Psalm 91, just go through the whole thing, and then when I got to the end, I started over. I don't know how many times I went through Psalm 91 until I fell asleep, but it took me that, it took that measure of me putting the word in my mouth to, to govern my thinking because my thinking had a carnal momentum that was not going to be stopped just with thoughts. It was going to take the word to stop those thoughts. And I had to govern my thinking with my mouth, quoting the word of God until I fell asleep. And when I woke up in the morning, I repented to God and I said to the Lord, with all of my power, I will never allow my mind to get in that condition again. 
so that it takes me to have to go through that because what had happened was I had allowed that problem to have so much thought real estate that it had a, a, a stronghold in my thoughts. Amen? And I saw how it crept up gradually how I had taken thoughts and taken thoughts and taken thoughts and allowed the situation to gain a position over the word, over the priority. The problem had more emphasis in my thoughts than the word had emphasis. Amen? He said that we have to intentionally reposition our thinking. Behold the fowls of the air. He says, which of you by taking thought? My worry wasn't changing anything. My sitting there with my wheel spinning was nothing more than a hamster wheel of wrong thinking, useless thinking. There was, it, the hamster wheel is not going forward. It's not going backward. It's not, it's not producing any strength. It's not producing any power. It's just a, a, a useless movement. And that's what my thoughts were doing. They were useless movement in the, in the mind. He says, taking thought, anxious thought, worried thought, it doesn't change anything. You can't add one cubit. He says, why take ye thought for clothing? And then again, redirect it. Consider the lilies. Look at what God did to clothe the lilies. And they get a new wardrobe every season glory to God ladies I should have a little bit more help from you right there a new let me say it again they get a new wardrobe every season winter spring summer and fall can I get a witness yeah <laughs> a new wardrobe every, he says look at that look at that don't look at need, look at that supply. Don't look at the situation, look at God's abundance. Look at God and His plan. Consider the lilies. Hallelujah. He said in verse 31, Therefore, take no thought, saying. Now we know how we own thoughts. A thought can come that may not have originated with you and you don't own it until you open your mouth and sign for it. He said, when we say it, we bring it into our possession. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? Don't take those thoughts of worry asking the questions speaking and talking about the problem. For all these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Again, redirect to God, His kingdom supply, His kingdom way of doing it. Hallelujah. But when we look from the perspective of a stronghold of thoughts, we realize that it's easier to take a thought captive when it's in thought form before it becomes an imagination or a stronghold. 
if I'll catch it at thought level, it's much easier to deal with. It's much easier to dominate. If I allow a thought to gain a momentum until it becomes an imagination with details and a little video that plays out in the mind and the whole scenario and, and thought it all out. What if this and what if that and what if they say this and what if they come and get this and what if that, what if this falls through and I don't get this for this and that's an imagination. And it, it is a, a, a bunch of thoughts. It's like the, the thoughts that come together and all fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Until you see a picture you're not supposed to be seeing. Right. An image you're not supposed to be viewing. Amen? Yeah. And then if you let it continue, it becomes that stronghold that has a grip. Yeah. That has a, 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 um, uh, a bondage ability to hold someone in in control of that wrong thought a phobia is a fear that has been operating and practiced and practiced until it has gained an ascendancy gained a momentum and will just freeze that person up an addiction is something that has been practiced. I do realize there is a demonic oppression on all of those because that's how he uses it. He uses the thoughts to, to gain that access. You know the word devil's not a name? Have you ever heard that, that teaching? Rick Renner did a great teaching about that word. The word devil is not a name. It is a description. Diabolos. And, and the first part of that word means to beat consistently for the purpose of breaking through and piercing. And then the second part of that means uh, uh, to, to build a road. So he's trying to put the thoughts against the mind to build a road into the mind, to pierce into the mind and to bring his wrong thinking into the mind. So when we recognize the thoughts are easier to take authority over them at thought level. Don't allow it to become an imagination. Don't allow it to become a stronghold. Hallelujah. And definitely don't give voice to it. Don't take possession of it by putting, your, putting it in your mouth and, and verbalizing it. When we take God's Word and we give voice to God's Word, we're authorizing His Word in our life. We're authorizing His Word to operate in that situation. Amen? When we take God's thoughts... Now we're going to reverse this because everything we've seen that was a negative in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we can switch the ingredient and get God's results. Not wrong thoughts, not wrong imaginations, not wrong strongholds, but what if we took God's words 
and we, we accepted God's words by saying them, took ownership of God's word by verbalizing, verbally authorizing them in our life. And as we do that, we build imaginations of the blessing. Imaginations of God's goodness, His protection. What if you took those scriptures and you began to, to see yourself kept by God? Amen? See yourself in the secret place of the Most High God. A thousand could fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but you see yourself standing. You see yourself in the midst of that kept because no evil shall befall you. You can see it. It's an imagination playing out in your mind. And then it becomes so strongly entrenched. Now you have a stronghold of God's Word that provides what the Old Testament scriptures we looked at at the onset of this teaching described. Now you have a stronghold that you can go to in the middle of an onslaught, in the middle of adversity, and you can stand. And you can be kept. And you can be protected and you can know I will not be defeated because I am in a stronghold of God's Word that I have been working on every day, taking His Word, pulling it into my life, establishing it as my thoughts, establishing it as my attitude, establishing it, I'm walking in line with it, I'm living it out in my life. This Word is now my stronghold, my safe place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is God's desire for us. Isaiah 55, he talks about it. In Isaiah 55, let's read verses 7 through 9. God wants you to have a stronghold of His Word. He wants you to have a stronghold where your health is concerned. He wants you to have a stronghold in your uh, uh, where your finances are concerned, where your relationships are concerned, where you, you know the will of God and you know what you've established as authorized in your life from God's Word. He said here in Isaiah 55 verse 7, he says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. The word forsake means to abandon, to quit, or leave completely. Forsake wrong, twisted ways, and forsake thoughts that are unrighteous. Leave them, abandon them, quit them completely. It's possible. But it's our responsibility. It's the responsibility of each individual what thoughts you permit. God is not responsible for the thoughts that we think. He has provided us His thoughts. But we have to choose them. And we have to choose not to allow thoughts that don't originate from Him. Hallelujah. He said, let the wicked and the, forsake his way, let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts 
and let him return unto the Lord. Well, this returning, if we stay with the verse, where do we need to return? In our ways and in our thoughts. Return to God's ways. Return to God's thoughts. Those are the areas he's pinpointing. Return to the Lord in our ways and in our thoughts and God will have mercy upon us and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts... Not your thoughts. If you take the word are, which is in italics, it's not in the original, it actually, God is saying, my thoughts, not your thoughts. My ways, not your ways. He's not comparing them for the purpose of us seeing them and saying, wow, they're so much higher than mine. He's identifying I want you to use mine. I want you to access my thoughts. Yours aren't working. They're keeping you on the low life. In order for you to have the high life I've designed for you, you're going to have to take my ways and my thoughts so that you can have my high life, my upper level living, so that you can live this good life. Amen? He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's why I want you to use mine. Do you see what he's saying? This is the reason I want you to use mine. Mine work better. Mine will profit your life better. Mine will take you places that your thoughts can't get you. Amen? Mine will produce a marriage made in heaven. Mine can restore relationships in your family. My thoughts can set you in a position where no, we, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen. So he says, this is why I want you to take my thoughts and my ways is because they are higher than yours. They are more effective than yours. Hallelujah. It's an offer. But again, we have to choose his thoughts and establish them to the point that they become a stronghold for us. A stronghold so that it's not just in thought form, but we have taken his thoughts and we have practiced and exercised them. That's how you get a wrong stronghold, a phobia, an addiction, a prejudice. How does it come? By practicing it continually until it then has the momentum in that person's life and governs their decisions. That's what God wants us to do with His thoughts. Take my thoughts and practice them daily. Put them in your ears, in your eyes, in your mouth, in, in your heart until they become a part of you, until they become a strong momentum in your life because God's thoughts... Our spiritual, our, they are full of His spiritual creative ability. They are full of His wisdom. Amen? So this setting in motion of God's Word and keeping His uh, Word as the continual 
focus or activity of our mind is what's necessary for us to be able to establish this uh, stronghold of the word. I, I want to identify two conditions of the mind. Uh, Romans chapter 8. In my teaching, I, I have used the phrase, you know, in, in the mental arena. But I like how Romans chapter 8 brings a, a specific category of two categories. Two categories in the mind. It says here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's carnal-minded or spiritually-minded. That's what God was saying, not your thoughts. Don't allow those thoughts that are, are at that level. But take my thoughts because you need the spiritual impact that my thoughts can bring to your life. Spiritually-minded begins with the Word. This is a Word-governed mind. A mind that's been trashed out of all that wrong thinking. A mind that is under the constant maintenance of the Word of God, keeping those thoughts in line with the obedience to Christ, keeping those thoughts from ever gain, keeping wrong thoughts out. Philippians 4 gives us a list for us to set at the door so that any thought that comes in, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, if there be any uh, uh, praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. Amen? That list is, is for us to be able to examine thoughts. And if you've got your thoughts all cleaned out, and you've got them in line with the Word of God, and you've got the Word of God shining throughout your, your mind, and you've got that spiritual mindedness, then it's easy to maintain because now you're just dealing with thoughts as they come. Amen? So he says there's carnally minded, and the result of that is death, destruction. It's going to destroy something for a person to remain in a carnally minded condition. And then there's spiritually minded. And in the life, it, it says it, the result of the spiritually minded person is life and peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Carnal or spiritual, or you could say dark or light. You know, in Matthew, um, Jesus was teaching and he said, if the light of the eye be single... Can, let's just look at it because I want to see light and dark and carnal and spiritual with a comparison here. Matthew 6, verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. The light of the body is the eye. He's talking about our perception. If, therefore, your eye be single... Well, if you look that word single up, it means whole. And the comparison would be found in the next verse when it says, but if your eye be evil, and that word means diseased 
Or you could say unwhole. He said if your eye be single, or if your perception is godly, if your perception is coming through the word, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is diseased, then your whole body, it's talking about your perception, how you're seeing things. If a person is seeing things from that carnal, dark uh, uh, way of thinking, then the whole body will be full of darkness. So he's talking about perception. You can just go back and look at the before and after where he's talking about where your treasure is, your heart will be. And then after it, he's talking about serving two masters. So he's talking about having the right perception, that you're looking at the, the right motives. Amen? And so, but he, he uses this light in talking about our mind. Well, that's not the only place. It says in Psalm 119 and 130, Psalm 119 verse 130, that the entrance of God's words... What do they bring? They bring light. So when we are establishing God's words as the thoughts that we are allowing in and then building our imaginations and establishing a stronghold of that thought, then we've got light on the subject. We've got light to make right decisions that will line up with His Word We've got light because His Word brings light. In Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet. Well, we might not use a lamp or a lantern, but if you go out in the dark, you might use a flashlight. You might turn the flashlight on on your phone and, and, and see your way so that you know where to put your feet. He says that the Word is a lamp. The Word is supposed to be shining on our path so we know what steps to take. The Word established in our lives so that we can see clearly because if you're walking in an area that you're unfamiliar with, if you're walking in a place that you may not know if there's any kind of rodents or reptiles rolling around out there, you don't want to put your feet there. You want to see where you're putting your feet. Amen? And so you want the Word on your path. You want the word on your decisions. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 35, he says, yet a little while, uh, uh, let, me, let me turn to it because I don't think I've got it written down right, correct in my notes here. John 12, 35. Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. Walk while you have the light. Walk while you have the light. Why? Because if, if a person is walking in darkness, they're not walking in clarity. They're not walking in the wisdom of God. 
They're not walking in the understanding of what God's plan is or what, what could be around the corner. But if we're walking in the light, if we're, if we're establishing the stronghold of God's Word in our thinking, we're safe. We're defended. We are fortified. And we're not walking in the darkness. Amen? John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21 for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believed on, believes on Him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So now we're talking about thoughts and perceptions that govern people's behavior. And because they want to retain their behavior and live the way that they are living, they don't want light to shine upon their path or to show them the error of their ways. They want the darkness. They have a stronghold of darkness. It says, For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth, that's us, we come to the light that our deeds may be man made manifest that they are wrought in God. We are establishing our lives on truth yes. and light. And because we are allowing God's words to govern our opinion, I don't have an opinion Because I'm bought with a price. I don't have an opinion that goes contrary to the Word of God. Well, I know the Word of God says this, but I think. I, I gave up that. I, I, I love my Lord. And I know Him to be truth. And if He said it, I believe it. And I will change whatever opinion to fit if, if, I, if I did have an opinion and I found out that he was against that opinion, I would, I would yield up my opinion and say, I, I don't need that opinion anymore. I, I, I don't want to fight for that, Lord. I want to fight for truth. Amen? That's light. That's coming to the light. That's bringing... I want the light to bring to manifestation that's what, working, what is working in me is wrought by God. That it's based on the Word. Why? Because that's the stronghold. That's the strong tower. That's the fortified place. That's the defense. If I'm in the Word, if my life is built on the Word, I'm kept. I'm safe. If my life is not built on the Word, then what refuge do I have? Where can I go? If my life is not built on the Word, where can I go? I want to be in the light. Amen. 
And I want my deeds to be evident that they are wrought in God. That I'm not doing in my life from selfish or carnal motives or agendas, but that my life is glorifying my Savior, my Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Hosea 4. I feel like often when we talk about renewing the mind and we talk about um, the thoughts and the imaginations that as believers sometimes we, it, it sets a, um, a focus sometimes of just not thinking the wrong thoughts and just thinking the right thoughts and focus on an individual's life. But I, I'm, I'm trying to show us the importance of allowing the Word of God to become the structure of our belief system overall because we are eternal. This world is temporary. What we see and, and what we're experiencing in this world in comparison to our life with God in eternity, this is just a drop in a, in a bucket, a moment of time. We're going to live forever with truth. We're going to live forever in the light. And the more we develop the light in us and allow His light to be the completeness of our attitude and our thought patterns, the more uh, we will be ready for what He has for us in, in eternity. The more established we'll already be. Hosea 4, verse 6. It's a scripture that many of us... I was talking and didn't turn there yet. Forgive me. Uh, we've, we've heard this uh, quoted often, but I want us to look at it in the Word. My people are cut off, the center column says, destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it says, because you have rejected knowledge, I will also that you be no priest to me. Forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. And so we see this being destroyed for lack of knowledge was not God withholding knowledge. It wasn't on God's part that they lacked knowledge. It was a rejection of knowledge. The Moffat translation says, My people are dying for want of knowledge, and you reject my knowledge. God is spiritual light. The knowledge of God is the structure upon which we establish our thoughts. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of who we are in Christ. The knowledge of the redemption that Jesus has made available for us. The knowledge of what His blood accomplished. The knowledge of the authority of His name. The knowledge of the purpose of the church on the earth today. These are all structures and that structure provides the stability for our life. And without it, people perish. People are cut off, destroyed for a lack of it. Romans 1, 21.
because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. We've talked about imaginations, haven't we? They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That shows the result of accepting the wrong thoughts and allowing them to have their momentum. This is played out what we saw in Romans 8, 6. To be carnally minded is death. Carnally minded is death. They were refusing to acknowledge God, to accept God as their creator, to honor Him. They weren't thankful. And as a result, they became vain in their imaginations and their heart was darkened. And we're here because we encounter people in situations or in our lives, jobs, whatever, neighbors, and we think, how did they get there? How did they think the way that they think? Right? When I was a little girl, my dad who had no spiritual impact on my life. He, he, I did have the privilege to lead him to the Lord before he passed away. But he was not a spiritual man in that aspect. He, he liked to, he was very intellectual and he liked to always have mind puzzles and all these different uh, um, intellectual exercises. And I remember as a little girl, him asking me a question. What came first? The chicken or the egg? And he never answered it. What came first, the chicken or the egg? And to him, it was an intellectual puzzle. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the chicken comes out of the egg. Well, to me, now, today, after I've walked in the light, I used to think that was just a profound question until I read the Bible. Of course the chicken came first. God didn't create the egg first. God created the chicken, male and female, a hen and a rooster. With the light, it was an easy answer. There was no intellectual game about it. It wasn't tricky at all. He never looked at it from the light. He was looking at it from that intellectual side of what is this and what is that and what about uh, this theory and what about this theory. And the, but with the Word, no-brainer, right? It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. But the problem was he was lacking the light of the Word of God to bring that into its right perspective. I want to read to you a 
what is on a certain billboard. It's, it's something that has been ongoing. Uh, this actually began in 2018. And it is a billboard in Dallas, Texas. And there is an entire organization with funding to continually pay to put this billboard up. And the, the woman who is the activist behind this billboard, it says, um, this is her quote, she has taught us that caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that it is an act of political warfare. This is the underlying mission of a controversial billboard in Dallas that has sparked conversations around black women's right to have abortions free of guilt, shame, and stigma. The billboard created by this organization in North Texas, founded and directed by black women, proclaims unapologetically, black women take care of their families by taking care of themselves. Abortion is self-care. Abortion is what? Abortion is self-care. We would all look at that. I see your faces. We would all look at that and say, what? You don't get that in the light. You cannot come to that conclusion in the light we walk in. That abortion is self-care? Do you see that thought is directed specifically with an intent to establish an imagination and build a stronghold that people will fight for? A right to murder. To take the life of an innocent, unprotected, unborn child. But they're calling it self-care. Do you see how dark that is? Do you see how dark that is? In the thinking. Psalm 139 in verse 13 in the Amplified Bible says, For you did form my inward parts. You did knit me together in my mother's womb. Who did? God. God formed each one of us in our mother's womb. Knit us together in our mother's womb, forming our inward parts. God is intimately acquainted with each one of us. From the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb, Psalm 119 or Psalm 139 verse 15 says, My frame was not yet hidden from you when I was being formed in secret and intricately and curiously wrought. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book all the days of my life were written ever before they took shape when as yet there were none of them. We have light. And that light reveals to us 
that in the womb, God is the author of that life and no man has the legal right or the moral right to stop that child from living out their destiny. But that's the light we walk in. And that's why it has to be a stronghold. That's why we can't stop at, at, a, at just thought level where God's word is concerned. We can't stop at just thought level. We need to let God's word have its full work in us until we see every aspect of our lives in His light. And it adjusts attitudes and preconceived notions and things we've been taught over the years and, and adjusts things in our life because we want to have His glory in our home, in our lives. How do we get that? We walk in His light. So it's not just about walking in the light so I can get a raise on my job or walking in the light. Those are all going to be benefits. But the greater picture, the, the, the scope that God is desiring is that we be such strongholds of His light and of His way of thinking in our, in our influence, our, our sphere of influence, that when they come to us, they know we're going to answer with the Word. If they come to us, we're going to respond the Word way and we'll stand for it. You know, there is something that Christians will suffer. We will suffer persecution. And we're to rejoice if we do. Amen? Why? Because I'm standing for truth. If I'm suffering persecution because I'm standing for God's way of thinking, then that's okay. I can handle that. Amen? Because I'd much rather have, have a person think whatever they want to think about my stand in the Word rather than have God look at me and say, you said what? You, you, you disagreed with me to agree with them? I never want that. I never want to be found on, on the wrong side of the decision. I never want to be found and see God on the other side saying, hey, I'm standing over here for life or I'm standing over here for mercy or I'm standing over here for forgiveness. I'm, I want to be where he's standing. You know, when Moses came down and said, who's on the Lord's side? Put me on the Lord's side. That's where I am. How does it start? It starts with me taking his thoughts. But it doesn't stop there. I take his thoughts and I establish them in my life until I have a stronghold of the blessing, I have a stronghold of protection, and I have a stronghold of righteousness. Everything needs to be so strongly entrenched from the word in my life that I can't be moved out of it. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father.
Would you just commit to that tonight? Would you just lift your hands to the Lord and say, Father, I desire to allow your word to govern my life. That your word would establish a stronghold in me. A stronghold of life, of love, of righteousness, and truth. Let me live in the light of your word. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let us live in your light, Lord. Let us live in your light. Let us live in your light.